You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. Hey, it's Amar Alexis, but you can call me Lex. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to Luis Baez. He is an entrepreneur, business strategist, and self-described optimist who is dedicated to helping others build their own business that they can be proud of. Luis has over 14 years of experience in sales and marketing for renowned organizations like LinkedIn, Google, Uber, and Tesla. He identifies as queer and is also a Hispanic, first-generation college student and business owner. He is passionate about empowering intersectional minorities like himself to build confidence and success in entrepreneurship. Luis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, my friend. I am so thrilled to be here, Lex, and to connect with you, and I appreciate this opportunity to connect with your audience. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you had reached out, I was very impressed by your business background. You clearly have an expertise in sales and marketing, and you have the experiences at these renowned companies like Uber and Tesla that people, you know, dream of to prove it. So one thing that I want to know, just to really get the conversation started, you mentioned oftentimes you were the only one in the room at these companies, whether you were the only Hispanic or LGBT person in a room full of straight, cis, white decision makers. So let's start by telling me a bit of what that was like at those big organizations. That's an excellent question, Lex, and I appreciate you asking it. It was, uh, on the one hand, a really amazing moment to have Mm -hmm. worked so hard on myself and to have developed the courage and the knowledge to earn that seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a really remarkable moment, not only for me, but for my family, for my tribe, for everyone that's like really supported me and, and, and guided me in this process. So it was a milestone. It was a milestone to get a seat at the table. And uh, the, my entering the industry was very intentional because I, prior to moving into tech and moving into advertising, mm-hmm. I worked in law, which was a super conservative space where I worked a lot harder to negotiate my identity. And so, right. um, you know, I, I joined the space because there was this promise of being able to show up as your whole self in the workplace and be optimally productive and have your ideas welcomed. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was, you know, the, the, the promise of all of that. The reality is that, you know, the promise felt a little short and it's not to discredit the work that's being done. It's not to dismiss sort of the contextual sort of uh, background of everything that's happening. Um, I don't want to, you know, make this a conversation about being, you know, sourpuss. I want to, you know, really emphasize that I learned a whole lot of my experience mm-hmm. and that it really shaped me and who I am and how I do business. Uh, but it was disappointing uh, because at times, um, you know, I had to be on the scope of what I call self-advocacy or mm-hmm. self-promotion. Um, I really had to step in and sort of defend my my knowledge and my credibility and my expertise. Right. Um, and that was the part that for me was so disappointing because I thought I had a seat at the table because my ideas were welcomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And when you when you talk about that sort of defending your position, and to some degree, kind of being that representation for people uh, like yourself, you know, you mentioned your tribe and your family, uh, you know, it was both a very proud moment, but then also, you know, seeing that uh, kind of uh, disappointment once you're at the table, 
uh, is really, really kind of a, a big letdown. Uh, and one thing that I think is really unfortunate to hear because a lot of people really aspire to work at these sorts of organizations. So what would you say during the past 14 years was either your favorite or least favorite time at one of these companies? My favorite time was my time at LinkedIn. And mm -hmm. I was part of an organization that was a sort of startup within this bigger company that was mm -hmm. no longer a startup at the time. Um, and so I had that opportunity to be an entrepreneur, someone who stepped into a business and helped to build another line of business. And I right. loved that. I loved sinking my teeth into these new problems, you know, really elevating my position in my career by taking on projects that really shook me and scared me in very good mm -hmm. ways um, and helped me develop all new sets of skills and confidence. So that was mm -hmm. the, the context for it. Um, and also, while at LinkedIn, I had the space to do something about the experience that I was having. Uh, one of the things that I really advocate for anyone that aspires to work at companies like these or any sort of Fortune 500 company is mm -hmm. look for companies that invest in employee resource groups. Um, ERGs are typically um, executive sponsored groups of professionals that right. have common interests or lived experiences. So while I was at LinkedIn, a colleague of mine and I founded the Latinx ERG mm -hmm. um, in collaboration with the existing LGBTQ ERG, parenting ERG, uh, veterans ERG, et cetera. And so um, I think that you, you have to find um, not only that confidence to advocate for yourself, Mm -hmm. but the network that's going to commit to amplifying your contributions and your visibility in the organization to make sure that you thrive. Um, and so that I think was my favorite experience being in a place where I was building a business, mm -hmm. but also helping to set precedent for other people to thrive and, 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 and collaborate and distribute resources. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that you mentioned ERGs. You know, this is something that is a really great resource for people of color as well as LGBT entrepreneurs to really make your voice heard. I myself work as the chapter lead for the ERG at my company. But one sort of thought that I've had relating to how ERGs sort of operate is oftentimes these ERGs, they do go a long way to promoting DNI, whether it's in the community or internally. But many times it's kind of like as the only Hispanic or LGBT person in the room, you're also picking up the slack and leading these organizations. So what would you have to say to people who are maybe struggling with being the only person in the room at their companies who have to do the extra work of of driving forward these DNI initiatives that really falls on them as people of color, queer people. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge that this is exhausting. Right. <laughs> it really is exhausting <laughs> to be in that position. So mm -hmm. I want to hold space for that. I also want to remind anyone that's listening to this and is in that position that you didn't create this problem and it's actually mm -hmm. not yours to solve. And so I think that as you approach how you deal with this or how you navigate these sort of situations, number one is find alignment with, you know, people in the room who value the things that you do, mm -hmm. who value your contributions and would also appreciate more inclusive thinking at the table. Mm -hmm. um, and those people are typically easy to find in the room. Those are the people that you enjoy, you know, conversations over the water cooler pre-pandemic. Um, and during the pandemic, you're having breakoffs rooms and Zooms mm -hmm. or, you know, texting during Zoom meetings and, you know, having those asides, right? There are people that are already in your corner. So mm -hmm. think about how can you create a sort of um, 
a precedent for reciprocity? How can you start amplifying the things that they do and encourage them to amplify the things that you do so that you start to create more visibility? Mm -hmm. Then think about cross-functionally reaching out to someone in another department who might be in the same position as you, who might be experiencing the same anxieties as you. Mm-hmm. And think about inviting that person to virtual coffee, virtual lunch, whatever it might be, or whatever it looks like these days for you. But think about forming those alliances internally. Um, it's really important that you find space where you are reminded that you are not alone, mm-hmm. that you are not crazy for feeling what you're feeling or experiencing what you're experiencing. And you also, for yourself, need to think about building your own sort of board of directors, if you will. Mm-hmm. So having these relationships cross-functionally is, is putting yourself in a position as an entrepreneur, as a boss, as a leader, right? To have these kinds of folks advising you, advocating for you and amplifying. Yeah. And I think that's really, you know, what these ERGs sort of aim to do. So as you mentioned, with as exhausting as it seems, you know, mm-hmm. doing doing that work is really about creating this space, not only for yourself to sort of decompress and, and realize that you aren't alone, uh, but also creating that space for other people. Mm-hmm. So during your time at LinkedIn, you cited the fact that you were able to build this from the ground up and create this space from the ground up because they were sort of in that early stage of developing, you know, certain ERGs that weren't there before. Were you not able to get that opportunity when you were working at other organizations like Uber and Tesla? You know, I there were opportunities. They were different experiences. Mm-hmm. That you know, as far as the demands of my time, my energy. So right. you mentioned Uber, for example. That was, you know, I wore seven different hats in my role there, such that mm-hmm. I just had no time left over to really build these alliances that I mentioned to you. There was very little mm-hmm. time for that there. Uh, while I was at Tesla, I connected with people who already started doing that kind of work. Um, but again, it was a situation where I was covering the North American territory. So physically, mm-hmm. it was really difficult for me to plug into the work that was being done. Um, so different context, but the need was definitely there. The experiences were the same, you know, in terms of me showing up at the table Mm -hmm. presenting my ideas presenting the data and still being dismissed um and so you know that that those the work was necessary those organizations i was very happy to know that the work was being done and that they were they existed um and there was an opportunity for me whenever i could to plug in to the work that was being done connect with folks during meetings and during gatherings Mm -hmm. Um, because that visibility is important it's very very important and having that executive sponsorship is also important so when you were in, say, like a boardroom at one of these organizations where you mentioned you present the ideas and maybe they aren't as validated simply because you're viewed differently for your background or viewed differently for your cultural or LGBT representation, what was your first experience in that and how did you handle it? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So I, in the roles that I had at these companies, worked with teams of people that had different functions relative to Mm -hmm. how we serve clients. So I was the sales executive. I was the face of the team, but I had people that worked alongside me um, Mm -hmm. who were responsible for, you know, anything from analytics to implementation, design, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. I would roll into these meetings with my whole team. 
And rather than being the know-it-all that holds the mic the entire time and runs mm-hmm. the entire meeting, which is how I started my career, which is why I have context for why I have this strategy. Um, yeah. But you know, I thought I had to step into the room and be that person who was just like on it, on it, on it, on it. I took that pressure off myself because number one, no one admires a know-it-all. So for mm-hmm. me to have my identity in question, my integrity and intelligence in question, and also be the know-it-all in the room, was the the recipe for total dismissal right Mm -hmm. so i learned to again bring the squad with me and amplify them because it really struck confidence for the client in the room that not only that i know what i was talking about but that i could also enlist the support of people internally to get the job done and that i think is really how i was able to gain trust in those conversations bringing other voices bringing testimonial and examples and case studies and numbers and everything to back up the recommendations I was making. Um, But that had to really shift. I had to really shift the way that I thought about what it meant to be an executive, because of Mm -hmm. course there is this pressure of when you're a leader in a corporate setting, you know, being the one that has total competency and is in total control of the conversation Mm -hmm. situation, right? Like you have got to be willing to, be that kind of servant leader and inclusive leader mm-hmm. to not hog the mic. So it really had to, I had to shift the way that I showed up to yield the the kind of respect that would get deals done. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you mentioned servant leadership. That's something that, you know, I think is very in the hot topics right now related to how organizations are are trying to drive their leadership to manage the business. But it's something that doesn't really come naturally to everyone. You sort of grew up with a prototype in your head about what a business leader is. And oftentimes that's the person who knows everything, knows how to get it done. But to some degree, you know, being a servant leader is delegating as well as elevating others to a position where they're able to take on that spotlight and and build that confidence in the spotlight as well. This doesn't really come naturally to people, and especially you yourself having been a first-generation college student as well as a first-generation business owner, you know, to some degree, did you ever feel like there was a cultural disadvantage or socioeconomic disadvantage from where you sort of started from in that, you know, you didn't have people in your family who were business executives that were able to teach you these things when you became one yourself? You know, early in my career, I definitely had that kind of narrative in my head about like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the first one out here. I'm out here, you know, just trying to be like the self-made person. Um, I'm asking for the help. I'm, I'm, I'm looking stupid. I'm asking the stupid questions, right? Like I have to do what I've got to do mm-hmm. in the vein of advocating for myself. Um, as I matured in my career and as I progressed and as I started to have seats at the table, um, I really saw my background as a huge advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I show up at the table, I can, pe- I, can, I can speak exec, I can speak tech, I can speak customer service, right? I can also cross-functionally and cross-culturally contribute to the conversation. I can mm-hmm. bring perspective to the room that isn't there. And so in my career, I grew frustrated with the fact that not only was my biculturalness, my bilingualness, like a mm-hmm. huge culture add to the table, but you know, it was being dismissed. It was being disregarded. My mm-hmm. ideas weren't appreciated. And yet from my perspective, I feel like I should have been commanding more because I was contributing more to the conversation. So, and, and that took a while, you know, for me to develop that kind of uh, perception and, and, mm-hmm. and self-worth and self-value. 
um, because for a long time, you know, I, I really tried to play into what the game was. You know, I tried mm-hmm. to be that super buttoned up executive, super, you know, focused and, um, you know, and, and, and playing up, you know, what was required to succeed and thrive and modeling the behaviors of the top performers, et cetera. Um, I really started to get away from being myself and I was miserable. I was miserable being in a place that didn't appreciate me no matter how I showed up. And then I was miserable trying to put on a facade. And so I just stopped doing that. And I just started showing up as my whole self for better or for worse. In some instances, it was highly valued, highly appreciated. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that definitely moved the needle as far as business was concerned, right? When we're talking about the bottom line, uh, you know, I definitely was a cultural uh, ad as well as a revenue ad. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's I have to say it's 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 exhausting. It is mm-hmm. exhausting. It is very, very exhausting to to be in that position of, um, you know, just not not being valued. Um, so I just I want to hold space for anyone that's listening to this um, and feeling the same way. Um, you know, and just I want to I want to just recognize you. I want to recognize what it is that you're going through. Um, and so um, that is uh, how my, you know, my approach sort of shifted. I just I realized that no matter how I showed up, you know, I was going to be up against something, mm-hmm. some kind of criticism, some kind of, you know, person trying to knock me down or pull the rug from under my feet. Um, and so I just showed up as my whole self. Um, and. There were instances where, you know, I was othered. There were instances mm-hmm. where I was taken off of projects or where the work that I did, you know, mysteriously started getting deleted from shared, you know, online drives and things like wow. that. Like they were definitely, yeah, it's a cutthroat environment. It's a really cutthroat environment. No one talks about that piece of it, particularly in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I found my alliances, right? Like in those moments where I felt really like, degraded or de- deflated or disillusioned mm-hmm. i had other people to turn to to talk it out with um to remind me that i wasn't the problem mm-hmm. yeah so it sounds like you know with all of these sorts of trials and tribulations you know over the past 14 years you really took that and and really used it as a crucible to develop yourself into this professional who has gone on and decided to start his own business and help other people start theirs. So, you know, how have these uh, experiences sort of prepared you to take on the task of working for yourself? You know, I, I don't think anything can honestly prepare you for going out <laughs> into, into business for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I really will own my naivete or my arrogance or entitlement. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I came up out of these experiences and I went into full-time self-employment. You know, right. like, you know what, after all these like battle scars, after everything that I've been through, like it, it should not be that hard for me to get mm-hmm. out here and start shaking hands and telling my story. Um, but, you know, I no one had heard of me. <laughs> no one had heard of me. Right. It's one thing when you walk into the room and you're selling a product suite from a Fortune 500 mm-hmm. that everyone yep. wants or has heard of. But it's another thing when you're like, hey, I am someone you've never heard of, but I've got credentials mm-hmm. that I promise you would be of interest or value to your business. Um, so it took a lot of relearning um, and repositioning the way that I approach things. So relative to sales, for example, I used the same processes and frameworks that I'd learned in doing enterprise and corporate sales. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I adjusted it for this audience that I'm serving, working with coaches and consultants and creators. I had to figure out, you know, how is it that I take these big, you know, company enterprise type strategies mm-hmm. and make it applicable for smaller businesses, micro businesses, online businesses, solopreneurs. Um, and that also in the process of going down this path of entrepreneurship, I started to realize I was experiencing some of the same symptoms I experienced in my corporate life. Mm -hmm. Also feeling like I was the only one in some of these conferences that came from my lived experiences or had these sort of like intersectional experiences. And so that really put some fire in my belly to say, you know what, like I, I want to be someone who runs a business that is all the way accessible and transparent. And I want to be here to serve people that are underserved and underrepresented. And that includes women. That includes people who are LGBTQIA as well as BIPOC. And so the work that I have done has been very intentional around taking these big Silicon Valley strategies mm-hmm. and helping smaller businesses see the same kind of success so that they can also create amazing customer experiences that we all deserve. With your experience, you know, like you mentioned, these battle scars, putting together the sales huddle for these underserved communities, you've gotten to work with quite a few clients who are LGBT, who are BIPOC. So what would you say has been your favorite experience in running and owning your own business, helping these people? You know, for me, it's always that aha moment that people have when they reach that moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. Whether they've been mulling over how to express what they want to do or yeah. how to package their idea into a service or a product or um, just even having that moment of, of self-reflection and valuation. I typically start the conversation. I work with people who, similar to me, worked full time for someone else mm-hmm. and faced you know that degradation and that dismissal and, and othering in the workplace. And that's traumatizing and we have to hold space for that. We have to hold space for someone that, you know, hasn't had a moment to see their own shine or their own power outside of that corporate context. Mm-hmm. And so I love sort of initial conversations with clients where we do what I call like inventory check. One mm-hmm. of the exercises I encourage people to go through is blank paper, pen to paper. I am all the way an analog guy living in a digital world. As much as I can talk about systems and automations and tools all day long, I love pen and paper and there's just Mm -hmm. no replacement for it. So when we need to brainstorm, when we need to get clear, we've got to remove all the distractions of the notifications and the puppy videos, and we got to be with (laughs) ourselves and with our thoughts. We also got to get things out of our minds and turn them into tangible things that we see on the page. That's how you start the manifestation process. And so I encourage my clients from the onset to open up a notebook, blank page. Do not put your name on it, but start listing all the things that you bring to the table, credentials, qualifications, experiences, certifications, education, revenue impact, community served, countries you've worked in, traveled to, books read, seminars attended, etc. Put it all on the page in no particular order, but just get it all out there. Size yourself up, size all your contributions up, and then step away from the page, grab some tea or whatever your favorite beverage is, and come back to the page. And look at that page and ask yourself, is this someone that I would be excited to work with? Is this someone that I would trust to guide me 
to figure out the problem, to figure out the solution to my problem? And if your answer is yes, then you have got everything you need, my friend. And I also encourage you not to put the name on the page. You can look at these things objectively. You've got to see yourself the way that other people would see you. Because I can't tell you how many times, you know, and especially working through that, again, that trauma of being a full-time mm -hmm. corporate employee, where sometimes I don't see what I bring to the table. You know, but other people, you know, what's something, you know, a process or something that I do very simply, you know, which is nothing to me is super valuable to someone else. But I don't see that because it's all in my head. But when I stop to do inventory on paper, I see myself very differently. So I, that's where I like to start the conversation. I think that's an incredible exercise that really reminds me of an exercise that another one of my friends does. He himself is a consultant that, very similar to you, works with you know smaller business owners, solopreneurs, et cetera. And I think that's a really great exercise to take in that. Oftentimes, you know, it's a question that I've asked myself, like, what do I have to offer that would add value? What do I have to offer that people would be willing to pay for or people would be willing to entrust me with? And I think that's a really powerful way to just take inventory. But what if you take an inventory and you realize, you know what, there are quite a few gaps, you know, there's still a lot of questions about things that, you know, I would like to refine. What is your advice for people who still have a lot of work to do towards developing something that they would feel confident putting their name on as my new business or my new offer? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. So first things first, you don't have a whole lot of work to do. Right? I think that the important thing to recognize is that you can be of service to someone else if you just happen to be two steps ahead of them. Mm -hmm. If you can be that person who's just right ahead of them and says, "Hey, watch that step. Hey, watch that pothole. Hey, watch mm -hmm. that. You know that don't don't you know don't step on that, right? You add value to that person, right? And so I would say if you do inventory and you're seeing gaps and you're feeling disappointed about you know yeah not, not feeling like you bring everything you want to the table, mm -hmm. number one, where are you two steps ahead? That's where you add value. And number two, what are you going to commit to to fill those gaps? Right? Are you going to commit to doing the work? Are you going to get the life coach, enlist the therapist, do the online trainings, go out and you know attend the seminars, enlist a mentor, etc.? Like, what what are you going to commit to? What's where's one place that you're going to start? I think that we need to really simplify this process and take the pressure off yourself. Be two steps ahead and always be learning, and you will always thrive. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice. And it really ties into what my consultant friend has said to me, because, you know, I've gone through similar processes with him for things like this podcast, especially to just really understand, okay, you know, where can I add value? And, and one thing that he said uh, on the subject of simplification is that I, like many other people tend to overcomplicate things, you know, I'm <laughs> sort of, I'm sort of the person that thinks, Oh, well, you know, if I can't be a full service marketing agency that does packaging and distribution and all of these other, you know, aspects of it, then, you know, why should I even start with like this one little piece that I know I'm good at mm. when there's so many pieces? And, you know, he says, you know, take it one step at a time, offer what you can, and then outsource what you can't. And, you know, I'm not sure if you align to that particular uh, suggestion, but, you know, I think it's a, it's a good way of looking at what you bring to the value without overcomplicating things. A lot of people run into the wall of, okay, well, I want to offer everything versus <laughs> offering one thing. Absolutely. I have that conversation multiple times a day <laughs> with multiple mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. Um, and I think that that just is a symptom of 
you know, we think that more is more when less Mm -hmm. is more. We don't trust that less is more because there are a few sort of examples in our immediate circles around that. But we can look at other big businesses that really hang themselves on a signature product or something that they're really well known for or something that everyone admires them for. And I encourage people to think about like, what would your business look like if it was that simplified? And, you know, what if instead of trying to build an agency that helps a lot of people, what if you became obsessed with helping one person at a time and making Mm -hmm. sure that each person has a remarkable enough experience to go out and tell their friends about it so that you're never worried about where your next client is coming from. I think that is where folks really need to tune in. And one of the things that I teach in the sales huddle is a business order of operations or a boo. So I tell everybody at the top of the month, hey, guys, let me introduce you to my boo. These are my, (laughs) my operational priorities for the month. And what I do is I look at the four main quadrants of a micro business, so the solopreneur business or a business of 10 employees or less. And that the core of it, and this is going to sound very oversimplified, but you'd be surprised that, you know, this is the apple that falls on many people's heads. First things first, we got to look at product. You got to have something to sell. And that thing needs to be something that is reliable, dependable, you know, as far as what the solution delivers, it needs to be repeatable, right? And you've got to really sit down with that product or that service package or that online course or a group coaching experience and make sure that it can deliver on your promise. Then as you think about, okay, I've got this product in place. Now what's the next lever? Most people go to marketing. They go, oh, I've got, you know, coaching package. So let me get on Instagram and blast this. Mm -hmm. But what you actually need is a sales strategy before marketing, because you can sell something without a website and without an Instagram account. Mm -hmm. That is the mindset shift where people are like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that not only do I have to let go of doing all the things and focus on one thing. Now you're telling me to let go of Instagram for right now. Yes. Yes, I am inviting you to consider what your business would look like if you were out there inviting people to have conversations with you rather than being, you know, self-promoting, you know, and and getting out there with all the selfies and all the infographics off the bat. Because here's the deal. You got to have something to sell. You got to have a process for selling it. And then the next order of operations is around your operations. You've got to have a plan in place to support your customers, to make sure that all their an- their questions are answered, all the things that you promised on are delivered. You've got to get the kinks out of your process. You've got to get the integrations for all your tools worked out. You've got to do all that setup and implementation, right? And then once you have something to sell, you have a strategy for selling it, and you have all the processes to support your sales then you're ready to work on your marketing. At that point is when we can start talking about your Instagram strategy and everything else relative to how it is you're going to promote your product over and over again. And so that compulsion of getting all the things done all at once comes from getting very focused, putting pen to paper, drawing, you know, two lines on a page, make four, you make, make the quadrants, product, sales, operations, marketing, And in each quadrant, no more than three priorities for the month. So I don't want you doing all the things either. Because the way that you start to build momentum and see the value of this flywheel that I'm proposing for you is by not doing all the things at once 
and also seeing on a page or on a board or what have you where you need support. So you mentioned delegation. This is where the magic starts to come in because once I've got all the things laid out on my business order of operations, once my boo and I have sorted out you know, how it is that we're going to get along for the month, then I start to look at my priorities and I go, hmm, I don't have time to master you know, the copywriting skills in this quadrant, so I'm going to enlist the copywriter because mm-hmm. my priority for this month is a launch or a series of podcast interviews or wherever it is that I'm really focused for the month. So I start to look at my goals for the month and go, hmm, whose support can I enlist? Because as an entrepreneur, my success is ultimately measured against two things. Number one, driving revenue. And number two, creating jobs, opportunities, and collaborations. So I have to delegate because that is part of my responsibility as a business owner. Wow. So I feel like at this point, everyone's probably taking notes. I know I definitely am. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this, you know, just talking through this with you and getting an understanding of, you know, sort of how you've built your business and how you've helped other people do the same, which is very inspiring. And I definitely going to be taking a few listens through this conversation to just make sure I've got everything kind of down. But another question I have for you is when it comes to being a, a business owner and putting together these these offers or these products, people need to be unafraid to also fail, especially at the beginning. So how would you recommend that people go about iterating when you know maybe they're at this point afraid to take on a client and potentially fail or not deliver? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think one of the things that I see that the sort of like top, top performing Uh, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, creatives who are really killing the game. Um, These folks have all figured out a framework or Mm -hmm. a process, right? Where it's like A, then B, then C, then D. And then they go through the exercise of spending maybe let's say their first few years in business teaching that framework one-on-one. And then they take, you know, once they've gotten the kinks out of their process, then they take that and they scale it into an online program where they can teach multiple people at once. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the online course where anyone can learn any time. So I invite people to consider, you know, what does your business look like if it evolves over time? And what if you gave yourself that grace to just really engage directly with people and think about what it looks like to beta your service or your product at first? So if you're concerned about introducing it to market or you know selling it to someone or presenting it to someone because it's not perfect and the kinks haven't gotten out of it, um, I just want to invite you to consider, my friend, that you will be in beta for the rest of your entrepreneurial life. Because if you have really dialed this in, then you will build a process for gathering feedback from your clients at every turn. So whether that's on a monthly basis, you're doing, let's say, monthly business you know, business reviews or quarterly business reviews where you're sitting down with the client, you're going you know, through the work that's been accomplished, et cetera, right? That is, um, that is ultimately how you want to be thinking about showing up you know, for that person is guiding that conversation that way and you know, being prepared so that you're not scrambling to retain their trust. You're not scrambling to collect that feedback. You're opening those conversations. You're creating those conversations and those opportunities. 
business. And I invite people to do that directly when you're working with the client one-on-one. As you start to grow and you work with multiple clients at once, you can think about whether that's a monthly or quarterly survey where you solicit feedback from people. But you want to be asking questions directly, not be making iterations or redoing things based on hunches, but real direct feedback from your clients by asking them, creating opportunities for conversations, inviting them to conversations with you to open up feedback. Um, That is ultimately, and then think about not overwhelming yourself with like, all right, every time I get a piece of feedback, I'm going to reiterate. No, you want to just once a month or once a quarter, but do it consistently when you're updating your content, getting the kinks out of your process, your framework, your flow. So allow that, allow yourself that grace and that space for things to improve over time um, because we improve over time as human beings, whether it's in our intellectual pursuits or our fitness pursuits, right? We don't just wake up one day and run a marathon. That's something that we train for. And so then we wanna take the same approach with your product. Allow yourself the space and the grace to be messy when you're getting started because guess what? We are all messy throughout our entire experience as entrepreneurs. You might admire someone because you think they're buttoned up, but they are crying in bed, (laughs) curled (laughs) up and all in their feelings about not enoughness, whatever that looks like for them, because that's just our experience as ambitious people. Wow, this is all really fantastic advice. And I feel like it really just hits the nail on the head in terms of how, you know, other entrepreneurs and people who are just very ambitious and looking to, you know, build something from the ground up tend to feel. And I'm sure that, you know, it's taken a long time for you to sort of get to this point over the course of your career and and connecting with, you know, different mentors throughout your life and mentors that you have. So as a final question, for people who kind of want to get to this point of just understanding how it works and you know where they need to be okay with trying and failing how would you say people can develop that in their lives whether it's through mentorship or coaching and and how did you sort of get to this place of i guess sureness and such confidence in your business and your idea yeah that's an excellent question so let's just be very clear i'm still developing confidence i am Mm -hmm. still a work in progress and i'm not afraid to admit that i think that actually admitting that is what gives me my power and so i want to Mm -hmm. encourage you to do the same um and i want to give you know give yourself that grace i think that the thing that really was a game changer for me um as far as what were the inflection point in my business was my ability to find a community to connect with I think that everyone makes that initial and I'm not putting any judgment on anyone because I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we all do the same thing. We start our business and we announce it to our network and we're expecting (laughs) folks to like really applaud us and celebrate us. And it's very, you you talk to any entrepreneur, like if you were to post, you know, a promotion at a job, Oh, I'm director of whatever you're going to get like 50 likes. But if you go, Hey, I started a coaching business, you might get like seven likes. And (laughs) people just don't, people just don't get what you're doing. Right. So you've got to get in where you fit in. You've got to find community. You've got to find a tribe, a squad. You've got to find like-minded people who are out here with the same commitments to the same types of goals as you, who are going to uplift you and amplify you, hold you down, have recommendations for you when you need them, remind you that you're not insane for going down this path, remind you that you are enough and, and, and that you deserve the things that you're pursuing. So you've got to find that, that group. And so I encourage folks, as soon as you can, if you're working full-time and building on the side, you've definitely got disposable income. If you are working full-time and doing things for yourself, think about where you can adjust your budgets. But as soon as you can, 
invest in joining some kind of group coaching. Find your tribe, find your squad, find someone who is building a business that looks just like the one that you want to build for yourself. Find a group that's out here doing the same and join them. You know, if you were uh, out here, you know, training for, let's say a triathlon, I brought up a marathon, mm -hmm. I'm trying to switch it up. <laughs> but if you were out here training for a triathlon, you know, that's three different sports. You would find a coach, you would find a group to train with, to hold you accountable. My running group, my swimming group, my biking group, you'd find a way to create a structure around getting this done, getting the training done. So I invite you to think about doing the same for your business. Well, that was all very fantastic advice. And I know I'm definitely going to be taking a lot of this away. Is there anything else that you wanted to just, just give as a final takeaway to the audience or anyone listening that might be uh, you know, struggling with getting started on their business or diving fully into their business? Yeah, I would say that no one's going to build your business for you. So you've got to mm -hmm. be really willing to show up um, and be vulnerable in the process. Um, you know, that's going to be very important. And I think the other thing is I want to remind you for anyone listening in that you will never fail when you bet on yourself, when you really like truly believe in yourself and show up all the way, even if you don't have someone building with you right beside you, even if you don't have a huge crowd applauding you as you go. But I promise you that as, as long as you're betting on yourself, you won't lose. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Luis. If you would like to hear more about Luis or see any of his fantastic work, you can check out his website at luisbaez.com and also check out his coaching program, The Sales Huddle, uh, which I definitely think will deliver tons of value just based on this conversation alone. So thank you so much. I really appreciated your time. Thank you, Lex. I appreciate this. And to everyone listening, I appreciate your time as well. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Amar Alexis, but you can call me Lex. Please make sure to rate five stars and subscribe for new episodes. You can also get more queer content at thegaypro.com.